Hello and welcome to the Two Robbies podcast, your destination for in-depth discussion and analysis of the Premier League and the Champions League. I'm Robbie Musto. Robbie Earl is getting a breather today, so for this episode we are lucky, well I think we're lucky, to be joined by our good friend Danny Higginbotham. Uh, and here are today's topics. Chelsea are dealt a serious blow as Roman Abramovich's assets are frozen by the UK government ahead of the Blues 3-1 victory at Norwich City today. PSG collapse again in the Champions League thanks to Karen Benzema's second half hat-trick. Liverpool lose at Anfield but hold on just enough to get by into Milan. Man City and Bayern easily advance to the quarter-finals. We recap results at the bottom as the race for Premier League survival heats up. And we look back at the significance of Everton's humiliating defeat to top. That's what we've got coming up in today's episode. Okay, Danny, thanks for jumping in, mate. Mm, no um, <clears throat> I mean, as ever... Tons of stories to talk about, maybe none bigger than this story that's broken today. I think there was an expectation that Roman Abramovich was going to get sanctioned by the UK government, which has happened. Mm. From my point of view, kind of happened quicker than I thought, but it's happened. All his assets have been frozen. His club, Chelsea, is owned by him, so that's another asset that's been frozen. But the government have issued a special license so the club can continue to meet its fixtures and its responsibilities. Um, let's have a quick chat about that before we get into the game today. And, and let's just consider how big that story is and what it means for the current and the future of Chelsea Football Club. It's, it's probably one of the biggest ones that I've ever seen in football. You know, it's... I woke up this morning, obviously, you know, and... <laughs> And it was something that just kept going and going and going. And every time you were looking, whether it be on social media or on the TV, there was something else to add to it. Mm. And the problem is, what's the short term? Right. What's the long term? You know, on, so let's, let's, try and, well, let's try and think about what that short term will look like. Well, well, we don't know how long, Danny, he's going to be before the government sanction a sale. There's got to be licenses granted yeah. and, of course, interest from buyers. It is going to be down to the government if, when, they sell the club. But until that happens, with no revenues coming in, how are Chelsea going to continue in the short term? That that becomes very difficult because if the assets are frozen, then we know what what happens with football clubs. They spend so much money every day to, to keep going. Then you look at the fact of the home games, they can have just their yeah. ticket se- uh, the season, season ticket, ticket holders. Yeah. 28,000 of 42,000 capacity. So straight away, it's going to look very different. There's, 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 there's a lot less then. What happens with the Champions League, as well as in terms of, obviously, if they get they through, go through, if the they get fixture. through, you know, the home fixture, what happens with them? Behind is closed it, doors. Is it behind closed doors? So, because yeah. the season tickets aren't necessarily included in that. Then you look at the players as well. Then all of a sudden you're looking at, because there's been all that talk, Rudiger, Christensen, um, Aspilicueta yeah. your questions are then it's like well they're, they're as good as gone and you know so then you look at it and think other players the likes of Conte the likes of Jorginho that have Silva who have one year left after this season are they going to start thinking to themselves what's our next move Tuchel what happens with him there's so much uncertainty now around the club and I think the the difficult thing is is that there's more questions than answers because this has never happened before no and it makes it very, very difficult. What, what, what's your take with it all? Well, I, I, I fast forward to the summer. And I'm very far no. fast forward, by the way. Summer's only a couple of months away. And that's when football clubs do their business. That's when they trade. Chelsea can't trade. Mm. And I don't know. I, I, 
could they sell the club and have a new owner ready for the, the summer transfer window? I guess potentially the fans will hope that's the case, Danny, because I don't know what's going to remain from this story of Roman Abramovich and, and his influence at Chelsea over the years, but my expectation is that new owner comes in, mm-hmm. it sweeps it all clean, you know, the three, the network, the, the, the shirt sponsor yeah. Chelsea, I'm assuming will come back in as, as, when they can distance themselves properly, finally, from Roman Abramovich. Um, but it's just the, the amount of time. And like you said, if there's players that would look to sign a contract in this summer who are going to end a contract, well, they can't if it's no. not owned. Now, then they become a free agent at the end of the season. So, my goodness, it affects the club in so many ways, Danny. And I feel like the UK government... <clears throat> This is a sanctioned club, and yes, they'll try and keep the club going in some ways for the fans and for the cultural <clears throat> importance of the club and for the fans, of course. That's what, that's what the license has been given by the UK government. But, but that, that's kind of it. The, the club, the longer it goes without a new owner, it's going to be starved of money, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Whether it's shirt sponsors, other sponsors, TV money, player loan fees, transfer fees... All the usual revenues, match day revenue from, from whatever, selling tickets, of course. I mean, they're going, to be, they're going to be strangled with this squeezing of their ability to be sustainable yeah. and to, to survive, by the way. I think what, one of the things you, you're looking at as well, everybody's talking about, well, you know, the, the, the new owners, whoever they may be, you know, they, 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 won't be, they won't be short of attentions in terms of someone that wants to own a football club. I don't think it's anything that happens in a hurry because you can guarantee whoever wants to buy the football club, they're probably going to be like, okay, well, you know, you're, you're going to look at me and say, am I going to be a suitable owner? Well, that's that's the government though. Yeah, it's be the government now to talk, but, and they will probably won't, they won't care as much as. But the people that are buying it will do because they'll be like, okay, well, what do I need to look at? What do I need right. to make sure of with this? It's so, so, so it, it's a two it's a two way street, mm-hmm. and I just think that that's going to take time and. We know that obviously at the moment they they've got um, they've got this thing over them till May the thirty first, which allows them to continue. But then after May the thirty first, if the club's not sold, what happens then? Yeah. Which is then the most important time of a season where you could ordinarily sell players to bring money in, or other clubs look to bring players in. So I think it's a really really well, tough time. That's why we said right at the start that there's more questions than answers yes. right now, and I'm sure the fans even through social media are asking me loads of questions about Chelsea. <clears throat> I don't know the answer. No. Nobody knows the answer. Just before we move on to the game, just last thing about Thomas Tuchel, the manager. Now, I think it's pretty <clears throat> agreed that he's been pretty good through this, Danny. Like, his interviews, composure, criticism of fans at times. Is there any way that come the summer when the club can't do anything, I know he's on contract, that he tries to wiggle out or maybe others might, you know, we talked about there's been a little bit of talk about Man United, mm-hmm. that he'd be ideal for them. Is there a threat that Chelsea fans could see somehow the manager leave? In the, I mean, by the way, and we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week. Who knows what's next in mm-hmm. terms of sanctions That's and why rules questions, and, isn't it? and competitions? But is that something that Chelsea should be worried about? Yeah, I, I, I think so. And also, I think with players as well, players that you know, you, there may be there may be clubs looking at players at Chelsea and thinking there might come a time where, they but, can they, but they can't they can't buy them. So Chelsea is stuck. But but what I mean is, if if they get to a scenario where it's like, okay, you can you can start again, but Chelsea are losing money now. They're losing money from the second that the that the assets are frozen. So therefore, right. if that's taken away and they're all of a sudden they're allowed to do things, clubs are going to look round and go, okay, well, we might have given you X amount for that play, but we're not going to now. 
And yeah. because there's, there's still going to be a need for money from Chelsea's perspective because they're losing money every day. And then, as in terms of your question for Thomas Tuchel, Thomas Tuchel is a world-class manager. And if he finds himself in a position where he can't do anything, he can't improve the team, he can't move it forward, and another big club comes along, would you necessarily okay. hold it against him if he was to well, leave them? Arguably not. No, well, you know what? This story is going to run. Mm. I mean, let's just, like, just recap real quick. The European champions, as a football club, has been sanctioned. And the UK government has, has got every right to shut down the club, yeah. to shut it down totally. Now, they won't do that because of the, the cultural significance of, of the club, its fans, etc. But it's still a stunning story of the club. Um, wow. And how it links to this, this horrible invasion of Ukraine by Russia. So... We'll, we'll, that's going to evolve and we'll keep talking about it. Yeah. Um, but let's, let's talk about the game today, Danny, because we weren't sure how Chelsea were going to come out. Mm. I mean, they got the news today, apparently driving to the stadium on a bus. They, they heard it through social media, et cetera, et cetera. But they started the game pretty well yeah. and they were pretty impressive on the whole in this game. I know it's Norwich, but I thought they, they, they knocked the ball around pretty well. Yeah, they, they were very good. The, the start that they got to the game, obviously, Chalaba getting an important goal, I think, after three minutes. But what really impressed me was... It was the front three. Mm. I think I thought they I thought they were excellent. You know, you had Havertz and Mount in particular. In particular. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You had Timo Werner, but you know, it's something that, that you've mentioned previously as well. The link up between Havertz and, and Mount was, was and, excellent. And before Danny as well, like I know that Timo Werner played now and did okay, mm. but the Christian Pulisic is in this conversation. My thoughts going in today was of course Pulisic uh, went down with an illness mm. before, but I think the three of them yeah. have been really getting grooved in terms of their movement. And it's something that me and Rob have talked all the way through. It's like, what's the best front three at Chelsea? I mean, we still don't know. But are we starting to know, Danny? Is it, are they the... I mean, Ziyech's to come back in and, he, and yeah. he's done really well. Do you think that, that, that Pulisic, Havertz and Mason Mount will be the starters in that... Or Ziyech, two in the good books of Thomas Tuchel for, to put pressure on probably Christian Pulisic? Yes, I think it's, it's three out of the four with... Havertz and Mount as the two. Right. And then, you know, I think there is then Pulisic and Ziyech. Lukaku is the one there. He was brought in to be a centre-forward. Chelsea are now playing with a false number nine. And you look at the way that Tuchel plays. Tuchel wants his centre-forward to not actually be playing as a centre-forward. He wants him to be as a false nine because then we know Mount can get into that position. Ziyech can get into that position. Pulisic, Timo Werner. When Lukaku plays, Lukaku plays as an out-and-out centre-forward, whereas I think he plays at his best when he drifts in from the wing, but he doesn't seem to want to do that now. So that, to a certain extent, hampers the two players behind him. And what you have now with this front three is that when Lukaku's not in it, all three of them will take turns in being centre-forward, and I think that suits them all because their movement is so good, and we saw it today against Norwich, the way that, the way that they link up at times, the, num the so-called false number nine. He's actually the deepest of the three, and... From a defender's point of view, it's so difficult to play against, so difficult to mark, whereas at times when Lukaku's playing, you can throw a blanket over that front three, and it's happy days for defenders at times. So it'd be interesting to see whether Lukaku can get in the team. Do you think he can get into the team? Well, you know, it's funny, Danny, right? Because I'm going to ask you something now, which is mm. a bit of a... Maybe it's a bit of a strange question, right? Or, or a thought that's just going through my head. Young players... In my opinion, Danny, when I first came through as a young player, I kind of enjoyed playing with other young players. It almost takes the focus off of you. Yeah, yeah. Rom Lukaku is such a dominant personality and character when he plays that demands things. And 
I feel like Havertz is totally different. I guess so. The question I'll throw it back to you is: When you've got three young, up-and-coming, hungry players like Havertz, Mount, and Pulisic, do you think they enjoy? Or let's take let's take uh, Havertz out of it. Do you think Mason Mount and Christian Pulisic enjoy playing with Havertz as a young, non non-demanding type of forward, or do you think they're more, more nervous, more anxious playing with Lukaku because they've got to feed him and they've got to, you know, you know, he's going to get frustrated. He's got this big personality. I feel like there could be more freedom, and it benefits them all playing as a, a very young, well, not very young, but mm. young front three that, that look like they enjoy playing with each other. Is that something to consider? Or um, am I barking up the wrong no, tree? No, no, no. I, th- I, think you can, I think you can look at that a little bit. But the biggest thing for me is that these three players complement each other. So if you look at, let's take Havertz, let's take Pulisic, and let's, let's look at Mount. Pulisic wants to get behind. Okay, Mount is happy to play in between opposition midfield and defence. Havertz is happy to drift wide. And sometimes to, in behind. Well, yeah, they're they all in, sometimes going to run. So, so, therefore, what you've got is three players that are very unlikely to get in each other's way. I think earlier on in the season, you could have three players that would just basically trip each other up. Whereas now, I think there seems to be a scenario where you've got three players, arguably, you know, three of Chelsea's most talented players. They're not playing in the same area. Earlier on in the season, they could be frustrated so much. And what I would also say as well is that with James and with Chilwell out, there's a need for width, and we know that Mount can drift M- wide. Width and more movement, like yes. more, more creative kind of movement to try and get in behind. Yeah, and and at times I think Chelsea have been predictable when they haven't had both James and um, Chilwell yeah. fit. But yeah. whereas now we'll see Pulisic drift over to the left, we'll see Mount drift over to the right, so they're still getting the width, so they're still stretching opposition teams. So it just look like, more, just look like scoring more. Yeah, because and that's been an issue for them. That's been an issue for them. Most of the season where it can be a little bit slow. I've talked about the football is so slow from Tuchel. The teams get behind the ball and then it's a bit stodgy. and I, Predictable. I just, predictable. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a little bit slow. Yeah. Um, just finally back on the big story, and get, I'll get a quick line mm. on Norwich in a second. They won tonight, and everything's good, but as this story develops, do you think this group of players and this manager will stick real close together, like siege mentality of this club's under, you know, it's... It's under the, all this pressure from all areas. Mm. Do you think the group will stick together and they'll be okay? They'll finish in the top four fine. There won't be any fallout. There won't be any players that are like, you know what? Uh, I don't actually want to play because if I get injured, I, I can't stay. Mm. I can't uh, stay at this club. Any trouble along the road? That's what I'm saying. From the squad's point of view, it's it's a difficult one because you don't know the individual characters, but there will be question marks over the players that are on a free. Um, you know, and, and people say, well, yeah, but there'd be question marks anyway even if this hadn't happened but I just the difference is they're unlikely well they can't stay exactly so So it makes them mind they're going to be getting ready for a new Mm -hmm. challenge whereas before you know you still don't know which way you're going to go until the end so so if you're if you're Tuchel what you're doing I would imagine that he'll probably sit down with the players and say let's let's not look too far in advance let's look for I don't know towards the end of the season Let's look towards the end of the season. Let's do what we can, and then we revisit things yeah. in the summer. And then we move forward from there. Because it's impossible to look too far in advance because nobody knows what's going to no, happen. No, no, that's, that, exactly. You go back to there's more questions than answers. Yeah. And I think that's what it'll be. And from the manager side of things, from Tuchel, then you've got you've got Silva, you've got Aspilicueta, you've got experienced players, you've got Jorginho, um, Kovacic. Now, it's, it's a scenario that they've never been in before. 
the younger players need their guidance and need their experience because there's probably going to be times when they're going to be going to away stadiums and they're going to get stick. Mm. It's as simple as that. I think that's going to come hand in hand with with everything that's happened and it's it's how you now move forward with that. Now, the frustrating thing is is that the, the players, they're the ones that are in the spotlight. The manager's the one that's in the spotlight. So therefore, they're going to get, from opposition supporters, they're going to get the criticism when mm. it's it's not on them. Yeah, it's an incredible amount of focus on the club now. Wherever they go, you know, the board of directors and the director of football and Pedacek and everybody else, my goodness. Yeah. What's going through their head right now? Anyway, quick line on Norwich City. I'll tell you what I saw from Norwich City. I saw a team in the first half that were weak, mm. that didn't believe they could get a result against Chelsea. Um, no confidence in their football, which I guess is understandable, being rock bottom of the league table and minus 42 or what it was whatever it was today going in terms of goal difference. Second half, totally different. Yeah. Like, the energy was there. I mean, I mean, why can't they start with that intensity? Is it just the nature of who they are that they can't produce two halves where they at least ask questions that gave mm. Chelsea in the second half uh, some problems? Not amazing problems, but certainly asked more questions than the first half where they were very meek. I think we both agree they're going to go down. Um, should they be fighting harder for the whole of the game? I think the idea in the first half was potentially to try and contain Chelsea, right. to try and stop them, obviously change the system, went to a 3-5-2, just to try and be a bit more solid. Then in the second half, he went to 4-2-4, which is something that they've done. They got results. I think they beat Everton. They drew with Crystal Palace. And they beat, I'm trying to think who they beat away. They went somewhere and, and beat someone away. And it was a stretch of three games. They, they, they beat Wolves away. They beat Watford away and they beat Wolves away in the FA Cup. Right, so it was Watford away. That coincided with Everton mm. and Crystal Palace, where who they drew against. And Ida was playing up front then. Yeah, I kind of like that. When, I, when those two worked played up front, really well. it, felt, yeah, it felt better. Yeah. Now, the problem that you've got, when you with, with Ida obviously being out injured, Pukki gets isolated. That's what happened at times in the first half. All of a sudden, second half, they go to 4-2-4. Pookie gets, obviously, more support, and then they try and go for it. But I just think from Dean Smith's perspective, he probably looked at it and said, right, let's keep it tight. Then they concede after three minutes. And the, how you want uh, the game to play out, mm. it's gone out the window. Everything that you've worked on is finished, and you have to try and go again. And that's what he did at half time. But I think you have to come down to the simple facts of when you look at them as a squad compared to other teams – there comes to a point where you go, they're just not good enough. I know. And that's I, I, it. I'm always fascinated, Danny, though, and we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up now on this one. But, mm. you know, when the championship, they're so good and Brentford are not so good. They, they both get promoted and, and uh, Norwich are the stronger team. And yet when they transfer, transition into the Premier League, they can't seem to find a way to, to turn that impressive championship performance into something that can stay in the top. The, la the last thing I'll say on that is that Brentford strengthened their, strengthened their squad in the summer. Norwich lost their two best players. Mm. Wendia. Obviously went and yeah. Skip went back spent to Tottenham. Some money, but it's not been anywhere no, near as not good. not been anywhere near the same. So that probably paid a part as well. Right, we're going to jump to the Champions League right now. We'll come back and chat the other Premier League matches a little later in this podcast, Danny. But the Champions League is what we cover on this as well. And we mm. watch the games. And we had a pretty big story uh, the, on Wednesday. Real Madrid found a way to come back. They won 3-1 on the night. And, of course, they, they advanced 3-2 on Agra against PSG. <laughs> I mean, we saw this game and the first half starts and, and, and uh, Kylian Mbappe looks dynamite mm -hmm. it, with his pace, with a counter-attack. Could have scored two or three goals. They get the first goal through the same player, uh, Mbappe, 40th minute. 
uh, which put them 2-0 up on aggregate. And the commentators, everybody's saying, well, yeah. this is, this is going to be it. Um, and, the, and they looked like scored every single time. Messi or Neymar linked up with Mbappe. He was so quick mm. and so skillful with those moves like reminiscent of Brazilian Ronaldo, stepovers and all that. My goodness. I mean, <laughs> I know we shouldn't be surprised at what's happened to PSG in yeah. the past, but how surprised were you that PSG collapsed in the second half and Real Madrid, with all the experience it's gone, mm. all the champion players, came through at the end? It, it was a team against a team of individuals. And that's the one thing with, with PSG. The talent in that team is incredible, but they're not a team. And the way that they started, they, they looked to exploit the space behind Carvajal, at right back for Real Madrid. And they did, and that's how Mbappe got his goal. And as you quite rightly said, he had two opportunities before then. And you're thinking to yourself, going into half time, you're thinking to yourself, there's only going to be one winner here yeah. because Real Madrid have got to open up more. It means that Paris Saint-Germain can get more on the counter-attack. But then PSG just did what PSG did. And what PSG do, they, it's, it's a zone, there's a group of players, and it's all about being the star man. They have to well, be the when you man. say a group, let's yes. be specific, yeah. because I think that it's obvious the star men are, are players that play in the front areas, mm -hmm. and I've just talked about how they look amazing when in the first half, and they, they have good possession, and they, 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 they counter so well. But I've never seen three players on a team that literally walk. Yeah, like they're, just attack. They're not interested in defending. Yeah. And I don't know if I've ever... Well, have we ever seen a team that's successful no. with... Not one, not two, but three players that are your luxury players. I don't care who else you got on the team. And you can try and set it up to, to mitigate that with hard-working midfield players. But at some point, Danny, as those from, they've got to help out. Yes. Like, if they're not prepared to do that and the manager can't make them do that, which Michel Pochettino can't, then that's the real reason. And, I, and I, it feels bad saying that because they're so talented footballers. But if they're not going to be team players, they're not going to win these big tournaments because that's what you need to go all the way. Mm -hmm. they're not, they're, it's not going to happen, even though the Galactica scar, stars and, and uh, you know, amazing individuals, if we, don't, if we never knew before, we know now you need to be a team to win this tournament. And that's the problem, yeah. isn't it? And I think one of the things is when you look at people say, well, Barcelona, you had Messi and Neymar. Yeah, they had Messi and Neymar. Everyone else yeah. worked. Everybody else, everybody else grafted. And that's all the way from the goalkeeper, the centre-back partnerships, mm -hmm. the likes of Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta in midfield. They all worked hard. That meant that the likes of Messi could then play the, three, the, the free role and drift into that 10 position. It meant that Neymar could do that. Suarez's work rate, never, never questioned. And I think, was it, um, was it David Villa as well, mm -hmm. who was there as well? Another one who work rate was incredible. So you can get away with maybe two. Not the way that PSG do. But what I would like to say is that the amount of people that, like after the game yesterday, were saying, oh, you know, Benzema, he, he now has to be put into this top class of centre forwards. He's been in this top class of centre forward for years. Mm. The only difference is now is that he's able to be the main man at Real Madrid. For so long, he played, you know, second to Ronaldo. Ronaldo loved playing with him because Benzema would do all his dirt work, give mm. him the assists and everything. Mm. And you look at the goals now that Ronaldo's gone or since Ronaldo's gone that Benzema gets. Benzema is a centre-forward that can do everything. He can play with any other winger, a centre-forward partner. He's an absolute genius. And I don't think he gets credit where credit's due for what he's done throughout his career because he's been a consistent performer. Mm. And a lot of the time at Real Madrid, He's probably not got the credit he deserved from, from certain people Maybe. because 
because he's done a lot of the work for others, yeah. I think in terms of picking people out... <laughs> I know what you're going to say. I know, <laughs> and, and uh, people who watch the game must have realised the Luka Modric game that he had and the assist with the dribble through the middle and the clever little reverse ball through the legs um, that we saw in this game. I mean, he's got to be up there, Danny. Of course, I go back a long way watching this player. as one of my favourite midfield players like, that I've ever seen. Mm. One of my personal favourites, given the way that he plays and given the technicality, and mar marry that with a, with a work ethic and a desire, and now he's a champion and experienced player, and he still is doing it right now. I think those two players will grab the headlines. Other than some of the younger players will have to be at their best if Real Madrid, in my opinion, are going to mm. go on and, and really get to the final, if you like. I mm. still think there's better teams out there um, <clears throat> in this competition. But I think, yeah, full credit to, to Real Madrid. Carlo Ancelotti on at the end, hugging all the players. I mean, it's amazing what, yeah. what ends up happening as him as manager and stuff. Um, so good news for them. But I, before we move on, I do want to talk about the fallout for Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah. And some of the star players, Kylian Mbappe, we understand, wants to go to Real Madrid. Who knows what Neymar's going to do? Who knows how, how long Messi's going to play on for? And Mauricio Pochettino, a manager that's been super um, popular at Spurs and, and the respect that he's got with so many clubs and the possibility of going to Manchester United, I think this is quite damaging for him, Danny. Yeah. They didn't win the league last year. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're cruising it this season. They're disappointing again. I think... I think it could be, well, I don't know, I'll throw it to you, because I think this could put off Manchester United's hierarchy and the director of football, etc., from going for him. Mm -hmm. Or is that too much of a, of a knee-jerk reaction? No, no I, don't, I don't think it is, because when you look at where Manchester United want to be, Manchester United want to be there with your Chelsea's, your Liverpool's, your Manche uh, Manchester City's. Manchester City brought in Guardiola, a winner. Won a lot. Klopp was brought in by Liverpool. Had won things at Dortmund. Tuchel was brought in at Chelsea. Had won things at various other clubs. Pochettino? I think Pochettino is a wonderful coach, but if you are going for the, the, the best option... Winners. If, if you're going for someone that right. has experience of winning things, of winning major titles, okay, I think he, you know, he's done okay at PSG, but anybody at PSG would be considered a failure unless they win the Champions League. Because we know, not being disrespectful, we know what happened last year in, in, in the French League. You know, it was a little bit, it was unexpected. But more often than not, you look at the league table yeah, now. They're going to win. You know, yeah, PSG are going to win it. So yeah. I think even, even before PSG got knocked out of the Champions League, I think there would have been people at Manchester United who potentially want Pochettino looking and saying, right, okay, let's, let's see what he does now from, from now to the end of the season. Because everyone talks about Manchester United. They've had... Mourinho, who's won things. They've had Van Hal, who's won things. They've had Solskjaer, who hadn't won things. They've got Ragnick now, who's yeah, supposed it, to be it, this man that's going than, to connect, yeah, connect things. That, so mm. it, it looks like Sir Alex Ferguson loves Pochettino. You know, he's always spoke really highly about. He still has big influence, Sir Alex. I think I think that he that he personally does because I the the problem with Manchester United is that there's not many football people at the club, mm. and when no, you're not, don't be uh, top in class. No. So therefore, when you're hiring someone within the football side of things, you need to have someone that's going to be able to help you. But my fear is that with Pochettino, as much as he could be a great coach and what have you, is that he hasn't won anything. Mm. Go back to Tottenham. when close The, the, to the year that Leicester won it. That was the year for Tottenham to win it with the players that they had. They didn't. PSG, obviously, obviously faltering as well. So 
it's it's a, it's going to be a huge call because obviously Pochettino's been mentioned, Ten Hag's been mentioned, uh, mm. Ajax. So Tuchel now does he does he potentially come into the frame as well? You, you've got a thing that possibly he does. All right, another game that's uh, been decided. Uh, Liverpool will advance two one on aggregate. They lost at Anfield down mm. into into Milan. Um, kind of a funny, awkward game for Liverpool. I thought it was pretty even first half. Not too many goal um, incidents in the match. Then, so you think kind of Liverpool are going to, you know, going to control the game and get yeah. to the end. And Latour Martinez on 62nd minute scores a brilliant goal, fades it into the top corner. And you're thinking, wow, this is, this is game on, right? We're thinking game on. And then what was it? Like just a few, like a few seconds later, uh, Alexis Sanchez gets a second yellow card. It's 90 seconds after the goal, Danny. And then, mm. you know, it kind of changed things a little bit, even though it's still nervy. A couple of things to unpack there. Let, let's start... Let's start with the challenge and how you felt about it before we get on to the bigger picture yeah. in terms of the game and the flow and what might have happened. Because I think it, it helped Liverpool out that yeah. they got the, the, the down to 10 men for Inter Milan. <clears throat> because at that point, Inter tails up. So, challenge, Alexis Sanchez. First one, side challenge, studs up on the calf. Some suggest it might have been a straight red. I'll give you my take okay. after you say what you think on that. So the first challenge. There, there's an argument to say that that could have been a red card. I think there is because well, he's... Yeah, so I want to know. Yeah, I, know. I, I, I think... I want to know from you. What do you think? So I potentially think that if there was cards to be given, if there was an orange card in between the two... So then, you're saying no for red? Oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no for the first one. Okay? No red. Well, Yellow card. Let, 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 let me give you my take on that real quick. No, for me. Okay. And the reason it's no is because it ticks a couple of boxes, studs up, one box. Yeah. Uh, the contact point in the leg, kind of high, second point. It doesn't tick the third box, which is excessive force. Yeah, yeah. And it looks bad, but the actual force of the, the challenge into the, the calf or the side of the calf was not enough mm. for it to be read. And this, this is just my take and watching loads of them over the years and different referees' interpretations. So I thought that was right. The second one... Uh, a lot of pundits thought it was never a second yellow card. What do you think on that one? I think it is a yellow card. Now, what you what you have to do in this scenario is that a lot of people that are having their opinion, yep. probably like me, would look at it and go, that, that's not a second yellow card. But then you've got to bring Given the, the circumstance. Given the circumstance where, where he's won the ball yeah. and he can't, well, he allegedly can't pull his foot away to stop the contact. That's the difficult bit. But the problem where we get caught when we're at times having an opinion on a challenge is that we're looking at it and going, that's not enough for a yellow card, or that's not enough for a red card, or that's not enough for a second yellow. By the letter of the law, and that's what we forget, regardless of regardless of we think, oh, that's a little bit harsh. By the letter of the law, it is a second yellow card. For me, it's, okay, he wins the ball. It's the follow-through. He's not in control. I do think that it's a second yellow card, regardless of people looking at it. So even, even if, if you feel that he couldn't pull his foot away, mm -hmm. which I'm not still was not sure and he couldn't have done that, mm -hmm. you know, in a split second to, to kind of withdraw his foot, that's debatable. It's the follow-through. Right. But So because the follow-through did what it did, mm -hmm. that's enough for it to be a yellow yes. card. I mean, I'm with you. I think By it's the letter card. of the law, and that's, right. what, and that's, we what, we have to, that's what we have to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and, and I think that's the thing. That's, that's at times where we can sometimes forget that when we're having an opinion on things. 
Like, for example, would I look at that and I go, ooh, do I think it's harsh? Yes, I think it's harsh, but by the letter of the law, it's yeah. a second yellow card, right. and that's all that matters, regardless of what I think in that scenario. So Mo Salah, in, in general, in the game, hit the post in the second half. Mm. It was an amazing block from, uh, I think it was Arturo Vidal. Yes, it was. On Luis Diaz. Yeah, Liverpool could have scored more goals and could have won the game. <clears throat> but I want to rewind to the moment before the red card and, and the Liverpool's a little bit of an Achilles heel and Klopp's kind of, he, he, he brushes over a little mm. bit. Are they, with their end-to-end and the, and the high line and, the, and the, the press and the way that they get on the front foot that way, but there is a risk involved of it. We see yeah. it in recent games against West Ham, they got away with it. Do you think that Inter could have given some real issues? And, and is the vulnerability, the, the, the so-called, and maybe the slight vulnerability that we have seen, is that going to be a problem to Liverpool if they want to win all these competitions and get to the very, very top, Danny? Is it going to come back and bite them on the backside, that, that slight openness defensively to the, to the balls in behind? I think Liverpool's biggest problem yesterday was the score at the start of the game. It wasn't, obviously, it wasn't nil-nil. Liverpool got stuck between a rock and a hard place. What do we do? Do we go for it? Do we go for it? They always go for it. They always pretty much go for it. I, when, when the game's starting nil-nil. When the game's starting nil-nil, but in the back of your mind, you, I'm, you've obviously played in a game where there's been a second leg and you've been up and it's like, what do we do? Do we go for it? Do we sit back? Well, if we go for it, then all of a sudden we could lose that two-goal lead because they could catch us on the counter-attack. And I think that played into their minds The first somewhat. half was a, was a, was a kind of a, a nondescript... Mm, Cautious. First half, and maybe to your point, I think they didn't really want to go full guns blazing, and they, they didn't want to be caught out. Yeah. So that that would be where I would go from there. Obviously, the the West Ham game, they consider them they can consider themselves fortunate. But what I would say, go on then. so what do you think about the vulnerability defensively? Is it going to cost them? No, I don't. I don't think that oh, yeah. it will because I think more often than not, we're not going to be saying that. And we always say the sign of a the sign of a great team is a team that's playing badly and can win games. Now, Liverpool didn't always used to be that team. Liverpool used to be a team for so long whilst they were climbing where they didn't win unless they played well. Whereas we're seeing a different side to Liverpool, which is, yeah, you know what? Sometimes they're not winning, maybe getting a little bit fortunate, but they are getting the results still. So it wouldn't overly concern me. It wouldn't overly concern me at all, to be okay. honest with you. Okay. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned. I'm a little okay. bit concerned that the, at, the, at the sharp end of everything, that they're gonna they're gonna drop points because of of their commitment to do their thing, which is brilliant going mm. forward. And Andy Robertson's thing, and Trent Alexander Arnold's thing, and and I said on the last pod that it's not just about the high line for me; it's about the absence of the fullbacks, Danny. Yeah. So they're high, but it also there's a ton of space laterally for players to run into or forwards to run into because there's no fullbacks there. If there's four in a line, it's not gonna happen. Four on a line, high. You've got four players that can react, can drop off, mm-hmm. can cover each other. But there's only two. My goodness, it looks, it looks a little uh, light defensively. Yeah. So, uh, again, I think they're going to chase down City all the way. It's going to be a super tight race. Oh, just a bit. Uh, the Champions League is going to be fascinating. I, I, I fear that if they're not going to... Well, the stuff they're not going to win is, is because of this. And listen, the Liverpool fans may say, you know what? That's okay. Yeah. Because I love the flipping full throttle yeah. heavy, metal, <laughs> heavy metal. And it's brilliant it? to watch. But this season, I don't know, it's just with recent games. Maybe they can clear it up and sort mm. it out. But, but no, but Liverpool advance. They're through, mate. They're through to the next round of the Champions League. So are Manchester City. They beat, uh, well, they beat, they, they advanced 5-0 against Sporting. 5-0 from the first leg. 0-0. Got to be honest, didn't see too much of this game. Other stuff was going on at the same yeah. time. Um, you know, in some ways, Danny, you, 
we, we know City so well, right? And we appreciate City so well. Yes, they didn't find a way. They didn't need to against Sporting. Mm-hmm. Just a quick thought on them, Danny, as we got on the show, and their potential to win the Champions League. We know what happened last year in the final with the Pep making some changes, etc. Have they got a better chance this year of winning it? Um, yeah, there is an argument to say they have because obviously what happened last year, that, that's, an experience. that's an experience for them taking it into this season. One of the things, if you go back to the Champions League last season, is that Pep Guardiola overthought things. If I remember right, Fernandinho or Rodri didn't, didn't start, Incredible. did they? So I think he overthought things. Can they win it? Yes, 100%. They've got an unbelievable squad. They've got players for multiple positions, players that can play in multiple positions. So yes, they can win it. What I would ask you is that if Guardiola was to leave Manchester City in the summer, this is all hypothetical, if he was to leave Manchester City in the summer, having not won the Champions League, would he have been successful? Yeah. Even though he was brought into in the Champions okay. League. Brilliant football. Loads of trophies. Amazing entertainment. Amazing cent- centennial points. Consistent. Entertaining. For me, yes, Danny. But, but I, I, I hear your question... And I know that's what they want. It's the Holy Grail. But, mm. I mean, are we saying that his, his, his influence at that club and the trophies that he's won doesn't really equal success because they didn't win the Champions no, League? No, his influence has been huge and some of the football that they've so played... you can't say it's not a successful period. No, but if he, when he was brought to the club, I guarantee you one of the things that was mentioned to him yeah, was of course. To bring the Champions League. That's what we want, yeah. So, therefore... I'm not talking about their style of play. I'm talking about as in terms of a, of a level for Manchester City because Manchester City are arguably now one of the best football teams in the world. Yeah, they are, aren't they? The, no, no doubt about that. But in order to get to that higher echelon, you've got to win a Champions League. You have to win a Champions League. Also, also, I'm not saying you won't, won't, be, won't be spoken about in the same breath, but that's what it's all about. And yeah, I why? agree. Yeah, it so, is. It is. That, I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. I disagree with... Pep, not successful at the City. At City. I, just, I just think that, that's like crazy to say that he's not been successful. But I, I, get, I get your point that that is the, the echelon, the, the, the place that they, the they next need level to sit. For them. It is. And, they, and they've got close, but, but, but they, they would love dearly, of course, to yeah. I think they've got a real good chance yes, this year, even though the striker situation, I mean, it's amazing how they're doing it right now. Um, but anyway, again, they go through. And actually, all the teams that go through, Danny, from this, this kind of midweek set of fixtures are probably amongst the favourites, which brings us to the last one. Bayern Munich 7, RB uh, Salzburg uh, 1, Bayern go through 8-2 on aggregate. Again, this is going on when the stories happen at other, other, other grounds. Mm. Uh, Robert Lewandowski says a, a quick-fire hat-trick, gifted, you know, two penalties, mm. took the penalties really well. I, had a, I did have a, a glimpse at this one, and they will be mentioned as favourites. They just will be. Are they, gonna be, are they the best threat? Outside of the Premier League, Danny, I know that Real Madrid will, will feel his momentum now. I still feel that Bayern is a complete yeah. team. Yes, they, they they've got it. They've got some great options, and they're going forward as well. Yeah, they they Pace. they they have so much experience. And you know, you look at the teams that that have now gone that have now gone through Liverpool, Manchester City, Bayern Munich, and. Oh, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be so close. I think the thing is as well is that we can talk about well, this team's going to be favourite, that team's going to be favourite. Huge teams are going to start playing each other now, oh, as great. we've seen, this is, this is, which this is, is amazing. amazing. Quarterfinals, 
you know, onwards in the Champions League is is got is much watched TV for uh, for for all football fans because this is what you this is what you 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 watch the game for mm. to get the giants playing against each other. This competition, I mean, it's I love it and I, and I love this time of year now we're going into uh, because it's it's so important in terms of these competitions. Any fate? Any any? Oh, I, I mean, I, I don't want to get into that, but I I I, I, I think at, at at the moment the way that the team's performing. Manchester City, they have to be yeah. the favourites. Now, what happens because they've come so close in recent seasons? We obviously know what happened against Chelsea. They've been beaten in semi-finals before. I think. What, what would be okay then? Don't ask questions of me. No, I'm asking a question <laughs> of you. I'm asking a question. Role reversal. <laughs> Who would you love to see in the final? What two teams would you oh, love to see in the me. final? Um, oh gosh. I'm not a massive fan of the all of, of, of the, the same country. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not a massive fan I'm with of you. that. Um, I, I, I would like to see a well, I mean, Liverpool Bayern, a Man City Bayern final. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I, Danny. I, they're all, they're all brilliant. That's that's one that just sticks Liverpool out. Bayern. I mean, there's so, but but I think a Man City, you know, as potentially the best team in England. Don't know yet. Liverpool I know. right in there for that. But that would be brilliant. Yeah. Any any difference on that? Or, or no, I think I think I'm I think I'm I'm with you there. It's but it's going to be so interesting because there's going to be teams that you're like, yep, yeah, you know what, they're going to get to the final or what have you, and then there's going to be these draws and it's going to be like, oh, it's such a shame because this would be how many times we said it. It's such a shame this because that would be a great final. I know, I know. But that that leads to the excitement of the Champions League. Right. Let's jump back to the Premier League, my friend, and I'm yeah. going to read out the rest of the games from today, and we'll, we'll you pick out stuff that you want to pick out. Southampton one, Newcastle two. Leeds United nil, Aston Villa three, wow, mm. and Wolves four, Watford nil. Um, pick out what you want to pick out of that lot. Leeds nil, Villa three. Mm. I think um, blow on it. it a- it's it's huge. It's huge. Um, Jesse Marsh, I thought he set Leeds United up unbelievably well um, against Leicester City. Didn't deserve to get beat. Um, so much so that the only thing that came out of it was why did you do a huddle with your players at the end of the game? As if that really matters one single bit. Um, So you're going into the game today, first home game, Bielsa's left, who's a legend at the football club, and you're thinking, right, let's get this place bouncing and let's get the supporters that are a little bit unsure, let's get them on side. I believe, yeah. Bamford comes on, obviously is is, um, is a big bonus to have him back, but they just never got going. Fans left before the end of the game. I, you could hear the boos at I the know. end. It's is it recoverable? I mean, it is recoverable. Yes, it is definitely recoverable. Yeah. I just feel like what a body blow for Jesse Marsh, yeah. who got a real positivity about the place, a real high energy start, motivation tactically. You know, for this, like I know Villa are great right now. I know they're kind of tricky. Jesse Marsh, he said it in his um, in an interview. I think I read a couple of days ago where. He knew what they'd do, Villa. I knew they are going to play with a diamond. I know that Coutinho was going to play in behind the front two, but stopping them obviously is something very different. And 3-0 again, like we knew that Marcelo Bielsa, the whole thing was, you can't keep conceding this amount of goals. Yeah. And Jesse March was always, always going to go back to a zonal back four, a little bit more protection, while still keeping the attacking side in it. This is such a blow. I'm shocked at this result, actually. Mm. I'm, I'm shocked that it was such a heavy one. Villa... I, of course, I think that's three wins on a spin for them. They've now found some real great form, and Coutinho is such a brilliant player. Leeds's, Leeds's chances of, of staying up, Danny, 
But we know Everton are right behind them. We know Burnley will grind away. Yeah. I feel like Leeds are really, really in it now. Yeah, they they are. I think. Bur- sorry, Burnley. Yes. Burnley at the weekend. I Brentford. believe. Is it, is it Brentford or Burnley? I think it's Burnley at Brentford, isn't it? At the weekend. Oh. Just need to make sure of that. But I think. Yeah, you keep talking. I'll, yeah. I'll get my. So uh, my, if, if you were speaking to it's Leeds Norwich. Sorry. Leeds, Leeds Norwich. Leeds Norwich at the weekend and, and Sunday. And Burnley. Burnley away at Brentford on That's Saturday. Right. Yeah. yeah, so they're, they're big, big games. It's big so stuff down there. I think if you were to speak to Jesse Marsh privately when he first took the job, I think there's an argument to say that he would have loved his first three games to be away from home. Mm. Because you look at, it's easier to defend away from home. So we could have got his message across. Their start is more suited. So you look at Leicester, how, how compact they were. And they were really unlucky not to get anything from the game. They play at home today. Regardless of what Jesse Marshall has said to his players before the game, you get embroiled with the fans. You get taken along by the fans. And I guarantee you, by the evidence, that's what it looked like with Leeds United. They were caught out time and time again. And they they can still get out of it. I think the one thing they can look at is that Bamford came back today. They've yes. got Phillips to come back. They've got Cooper to come back. That's the spine of the team. But it's going it to be... Must, I mean, we're getting to a point now. Leeds at home... Ellen Road, Sunday, against Norwich. Must win. It's a must win, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a must win. If they don't win that game, then they're going, to be, they're going to be clawing. They're going to be sweating and clawing right to the last day, surely. Yeah, and what you need to do, and it's not just that, you know, and obviously I've been in the situation myself before where I've unfortunately I've been relegated twice. We've, I've had some successful That's relegation. Terrible. That's terrible. What about yourself? How many? Well, let's move on. No, no, no. How, how many? Well, one's okay. Oh, here we go. And the other one was three points deducted. Oh, so not two. Not my fault. One. So two. One. Two. Well, not really, no. Did you not get relegated? Well, the club did. I didn't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, dear. I, I'm all right, Jack. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah, we've got plenty of experience, all right, yeah. in this situation. So, so in, that, in that scenario, if you're Leeds United and you're playing Norwich, what you need to do, because everybody will be looking at that game and going, Let's see how Leeds United reacts. If Leeds get three points, all of a sudden mm, it takes the, it takes yeah, it the wind change. out of the sails of some of the teams that are below them. Mm. But they lose that, all of a sudden all the other teams take that deep breath and they're like, okay, look, Leeds are now catchable. And that's where it becomes so difficult because it's not just about you winning the games, it's about what you can do to the teams below you or what you can do to the teams above you that you may be able to catch. Well, you're going to catch Aston Villa. No. Let's, let's have a, a little line on them. Um, heading in a really good direction under Steven Gerrard. Yeah. He's still an experienced manager. Mm. He's learning quickly what it takes in the Premier League. They had a little bit of a rough run. They've won the last three. Coutinho on fire. Incredible signing. Is it going to be exciting times for Aston Villa going forward? We know they've got money. They've got very wealthy owners. They've got a, a high-profile manager that you said earlier is going to attract players. Yeah. How excited should be Aston Villa fans Massively. Be? It's a huge football club. My, go, and I, know, I know we're going back a little bit. Talk about Manchester City, Champions League. Aston Villa won the European Cup. Yeah. You know, know. The, the history behind that football club, yeah, the manager that's there, the money that's there. Mm. You know what it's like to go and play against mm. Aston Villa. Mm. It's an incredible, mm. historic stadium that just, you can just feel the presence of everything. You can smell it. Success. You can yeah. smell the football there. So, 100%, they're, they're going to be a team that have the money, that have the manager, that can attract these players. So, I, I think things are looking very yeah. bright for Aston Villa. I don't personally, I may be wrong, I don't think it'll be long until they're challenging the top six with a good start. I think you're right. I think if you look at the, the players on paper, we know about Matty Cash, we know about mm. McGinn in midfield and Jacob Ramsey, 
Douglas Louise, I really, really like. They've got attacking options. They've got good forwards and Danny. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff going yes. on there. You know, Mings defensively, a good goalkeeper. Really, really good. Mm. Um, a team today, one of the struggles at the bottom, did get it done. Newcastle United went to, to uh, Southampton, won 2-1. I mean, Eddie Howe... I mean, how, how good a job, by the way, has he done? I, gave, I think he got my underappreciated this last weekend. Yeah. We do an underappreciated performer. And Eddie Howe's job that he's done from the start to, to playing a style that is demanded by the Newcastle fans. Mm. And yet it's been working with decent signings, not spectacular mm -hmm. signings, but smart, sensible signings that, that, that subtly improve the quality. I mean, they're practically there, Danny, aren't they? What are they, 31 yeah. points? I mean, another four or five, six points, they're good. Yeah, they're, they're, in, they're in a great place. Um, when, when Eddie Howe got the job, I spoke to him just before the January transfer window, and I asked him, I said, you know, obviously everyone's all this talk about now, money coming into the club, spending the money. And he said, the most important thing is I have to spend this money wisely. He said, yes, we want to bring quality players that are going to make our starting level stronger, but I've got to bring in players that have the right character and have the right attitude. Look at the players that he signed. Not only are the players that he signed good characters, but they're players that can take Newcastle to that next level. I'm not talking about next level, about we're going to be yeah, challenging for the Premier League. If there's six levels, the next level, yeah. Is, they, and is, they've is got good. the players for that. I think he's... One of the things he said when he took over as well, in a conversation I had with him, he said he needed to take the pressure off the players. He said he had mm. a style of play. He loves playing out from the back. Mm. But he said he had Tough to, to do. he to had do. to draw back from that a little bit. Right. So allow the players to gain confidence and then do it bit by bit. And what I've really liked about Eddie Howe is that you speak about his style and there's still a measure of that in the way that Newcastle play, but I think he's adapted to the mm. players that he has available. And I know he's only been there a short time, but what he's done puts him up there, in my mind, as one of the managers of the season. It may be a big statement, but mm. I think that he is for, for what he's achieved in such a short well, space of time. Where, where they were six points from safety beginning of December, bottom of the league table, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're now well clear, like like 10-point gap. That is stunning. So you're absolutely right. It's not mm. a huge statement because he's got to be there with, with consideration of the pressure, and, uh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So well done. Well done, Eddie Howe. Well done, Newcastle United. Wow. I mean, I didn't expect, like, with, like, 11 games left for them that we, we were... I mean, it's incredible, Danny. We were looking at Burnley we're, Newcastle I, last game incredible. I know. Incredible. Um, quickly on the others, Wolves 4-0 against Watford. Wolves continue to, to, I think, add so much to the Premier League yeah. with Bruno Large, Danny, and the way that he's playing, the expansive style, the creative style, the attacking players are fit again, and, and, and Raul Jimenez scoring a goal in this one. Uh, for Watford... I mean, if you look at the league table, the, you know, they're three points from, a, from Everton um, after having played more games. Can you see a way out for Watford, Danny? I mean, if you put it in percentage terms, if, if 100% is definitely relegated, are we, at, are we at 80% yet for them to get relegated or, or, or it should be less than that? Because I think it should be 80 so, yeah, I'm, I'm not far off. I'll probably say 70-75. I think the, the, the one concerning thing, amongst other things at Watford, is that we know how good Roy Hodgson is defensively. But where is it then? That's what I'm saying. That's the <laughs> concerning thing. That's why it's 75. Yeah. I must admit, when he got the job, I thought, you know what? They can, score. A little bit. They can score goals. Yeah, on the, on he will break. get them defensively mm. sound. He yeah. hasn't been able to do that. And that's why, for me, it is 75-80%. I think it's going, to be, it's going to be very, very tough for him. Very tough. Yeah, me too. Let's rewind to Monday. Oh. Spurs 5, Everton 0. Now, 
you were in the studio. Yeah. I, I was watching this game at home, and uh, I'm like, wow, this, this could be 10. Yep. The, the, the openness, the lack of, of spirit and fight from Everton. I mean, not only are the alarm bells going to be ringing based on where they are on the league table right now and that result, but the manner, Danny. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether I've seen a team look so great. It was against Leeds when they were at home. Yes. 3-0. Yes. And I remember me and Robbie O'Talker on the podcast saying, that, that's Everton. Mm-hmm. Tons of energy. I think it was a 4-4-2, pretty basic. The fans are up for it. And then to go backwards and, was he lost five out of six or something? Mm. I mean, seriously. This is serious now, Danny, in terms of where they are. And it worried me, and I'll throw it to you in a second. It worried me when I heard Jordan Pickford say about a week ago in an interview, oh, we're different now. We, 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 we play out the back now. Mm. With, we're a posi- more of a position-based team. I'm, I'm like, oh, th- that could be dangerous. T- defenders that aren't good on the ball, trying to play out and be patient. That's, this is not a time for that. Not only does it make them vulnerable to turnovers and mistakes, which they're making, yeah. but also it's a long way from goal, Danny, when you're playing out from the back and got to get it through midfield. you got to get it. I mean, talk about time for being a little bit more vertical and, and not get bashing it forward. But that approach worries me. What about you? Yeah, it, it does. One of the things that really stood out to me on Monday was that everybody knows at the moment Tottenham get frustrated. Burnley frustrated them. Wolves frustrated them. Southampton frustrated them. And that Middlesbrough? Yeah. Middlesbrough, yeah, Middlesbrough frustrated them as well in the FA Cup. So automatically I'm thinking Everton are going to go there, B, play like a 4-5-1, look to count yeah, them. Everton a simple play- game plan. Everton played so open. They started the game well, and then they got a little bit carried away, and then they just forgot about the defensive side of the game. If you look at Tottenham's goals, Everton's back four is over the halfway line. Now, Harry Kane's like, happy days. I'll drop in, oh, or I'll go long. We've oh, got Son in behind, and that, for me, was really concerning. Also, what was concerning as well was afterwards when Frank Lampard spoke in his, um, his post-match interview, and he was asked about the players, and he said, work ethic, desire, commitment, Anthony Gordon was the one for me today. And I remember me and Tim were in the studio and we were speaking about it before, obviously, the game had finished and we're saying that he's one of the ones that stands out, but he's a young player. He needs guidance. And you know what it's like in a relegation fight. There's certain characters that you want playing. I look at that Everton team. They're a team that have some very, very good players. I'm not convinced how many of them can deal with a relegation battle. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. If that was a team that were in the top, eight and nine, they've got some great players with the ball at the feet. I just think now the pressure's going to be on, because this Everton crowd, they, 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 won't, they won't deal with it. You know, they, they will make it under no uncertain terms that this is how you have to play to get out of this, and it's just how many players can step up. My, my experience here, Danny, and uh, I'm sure you've got experience as well, is that relegation fights are for men. Yeah. And and men that understand the pressure, understand the, the anxiety, understand the pressure in the stadium, the oohs and the ahs and the boos and the, and, the, and the stuff that can take you under. If you've got enough of your 11 willing to, to take that on and trying to get it out of your mind and play error-free, mistake-free football, you can get out of it. Yeah. If, you haven't, if you've got too many that are intimidated by that or shy away from that, you ain't going to get out of it. And now I'm not saying what there is right now. It's so like, I mean, I look at the back four, right? Mason Holgate and Michael Keane. I saw a a quote from a former player, I can't remember who it was now, saying they're a championship back four. Mm. 
Is that too harsh? Because I'm thinking, yeah, I kind of get that. I get that. And a championship back four that can't keep clean sheets and can't be strong and not experienced. There's some young ones back there. Seamus Coleman, of course, granted at right back mm. is experienced. Is that the main problem for, for Everton? The back four aren't very good. Yeah, I think it, it can be the setup. And I think when, if, if you look at things, if, if everybody's fit, there's probably an argument to say that Godfrey, who I think's a good player. Yeah, Ben Godfrey, yeah. Ben Godfrey and Yerry Mina. Yeah, they, they would be in. There's an argument that not just that they would be in, that potentially Lampard could go with the back three, you know, to give them that extra stability. Mm. But what I would say, regardless of, regardless of how you portray that back four, the back three, the centre-backs, whatever you want to call it. I don't think the protection or the balance has been right in midfield in front of them to be able to give them that protection. Yes, Alan, you know, he's, he's one of the, the main players now, the defensive side of things. But they don't play with two sitters. And I think when you're, when you're near the bottom of the league, we saw it at, at the week, um, sorry, on Monday, Decore and Van der Beek, they were going forward. So at times, and the full-backs were going forward, so at times you, you, had, um, you had the two centre-backs and Allen doing all the defensive they, side they of things. They need more help. They, they, so that's what I would say. And you have to err on the side of caution when you're in a relegation battle because we know when you concede a goal, when you're at the bottom of the league, it completely zaps your confidence. So remain strong, stay in the game, and you know you've got a Richarlison. You know you've got a Calvert-Lewin that yeah. could potentially find the, the back yeah, of Calvert the net. Calvert-Lewin needs to find some form, needs to get up to speed. Yeah. Still looks a little rusty from his, his injury layout. Um, a quick line on Spurs. <laughs> I don't, know what, I don't know what's going to be the head of Antonio Conte right now. I don't know where he's at, whether they're the best team he's ever worked with or whether this is impossible and, uh, you know, mm. someone's got to make a decision. It's a good win. They've got good players. Get on with it. Yeah. I mean, like, in terms of top four, they've still got a great chance, by the way. They've got 12 games left, Danny. They're only three points behind, I think, that spot. Arsenal, um, they've played more games than Arsenal, of course. But they're still in it. Is Antonio Conte trying to lessen expectations but thinks that this team can make it in the top four. Because if you listen, if you believe to everything that he said, mm. this is impossible and, and this, you know, same players, different managers, can, does he believe that they can do it? The inconsistency, I think, will be his biggest concern. You beat Manchester City and then you lose to Burnley. And that, that's the problem. And, and look at Arsenal. To all intents and purposes, they've got the consistency. They have now. Yeah. Tottenham, you don't know what you're going to get yeah. for them. I wouldn't be surprised if they went to Old Trafford could the weekend. Could they though, Danny? Could they, find, could they get on a winning streak? I feel like Antonio no. Conte, with all that energy, win the next game. Win, you know, and have a bit of a, and go on a run. They don't have a, okay. They don't have a... You're talking defence or attack? Attack. They don't have, they don't have an Odegaard. If it, who, who can break? They don't have a number 10 that can... That can Kane kind of does it. I, 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 I yeah, he, he, he can to a certain extent, but imagine if you had a number 10 that was feeding him. So that's, that's my concern, is that when they play at Burnley, when they play at Southampton and Wolves, mm. who are going to say, OK, well, you can have the ball, but you're not going to be able to get through us. That's where they miss that creativity yeah, yeah, in midfield. Yeah. Then they have to open up when they're dominating the ball, and they don't have the defensive mindset in midfield. So that's my concern for them. My biggest concern with, with Conte is that what happens in the summer? And I've, I, I've said it since day one. He's a brilliant manager. But he's known wherever he goes, he spends money. And I don't see him getting the finances that, ever, uh, that Tottenham require mm. to get Tottenham to where Conte wants him to be. It's going to be slower. I think he's admitted that, that it's going to be 
is going to take. But more he doesn't time. spend time. I just at don't, clubs. don't. Yeah, it's just what his reaction is going to be yeah. in the reality. Oh, I've only got one new player, good player, but only one, and I got to work with the team. But you're right. That's that's going to be interesting. He won't accept playing second or third well, he, 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 in he, any he, league. Yeah, yeah, he wants to win, and, yeah. and, and and that's great, and he's won. But this is a different. There's some living good opponents in yeah. this division. Okay, last thing before we wrap up, Danny. Um, Saturday, twelve thirty Eastern time on Peacock. Man United, Old Trafford host. Uh, the, the, the the team we just talked about, Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, we're getting to the end of the show now. We can't take a deep dive into Manchester United, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is almost a separate show on itself. Man United now with with the ups and the downs and the and the rumours and everything else. Can, Man, can Ralph Ragnick, Danny, pull it together? If you believe him from the City game, it's like, they're great. We're not great. What, what do you expect? Like, they're the best team in the world. We're not. You know, it happens. Mm. Can he pull everybody back on board, no. Danny, to have another run now and, and beat Spurs at home, get on the front foot, get Pogba, get Bruno, get, all, get, get the attacking players out there, maybe Ronaldo comes back, and find a formula to get them, I mean, they're still the fifth place right now yeah. into the top four. Or is there something more, that defeat, is there more symbolic, more damaging than what I'm suggesting? Yeah, I, I just don't, I don't see Manchester United getting in the top four. I don't, I think that another team with inconsistency, another team without identity, um, it's a club that you can... Let's put it this way: If Guardiola or Klopp came into the club tomorrow, you're not going to you're not going to challenge for the title. And the reason I say that is not because they haven't got good players. I remember at the start of the season saying, "Wow, you know what? They, they've got an opportunity here to really, so. you know, chase down Liverpool, Manchester City." But the problem is, is that without an identity, United haven't had, had an identity for years. So they've gone out and signed players who were very good players, and there's players within that group that could probably go to another team. And we've spoken about it before: maybe win a Premier League title. There's no identity to the well, club. Well, I'm going to stop you right there, right? And that, that might be valid about the identity. I would push back on, there's a lot of very good players there. Okay. I think the reality is that the squad and the team isn't as good as what people think, certainly what people expect. I mean, not to go through every single position, but you've got a back four right now, Alex Telles, okay. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, okay, a lot of money. He's come from Crystal Palace. He's okay. I wouldn't say he's a champion player. Harry Maguire, massive fee from Leicester. All right. Not playing great. Mm. Lindelof, all right. Fred. <sighs> McTominay's good. Like, I like McTominay. And Sancho is going to be good, but not just yet. Russia's been disappointing. I mean, Ronaldo's older and less. he's not scoring so much. Cavani. Is it that good? Danny. If, if, I, if I'm looking at that starting eleven, the strongest starting eleven. Pogba, could he, win in a, could he play in a Premier League winning team? 100%. Ronaldo, could he? Yeah, I think so. Fernandez, yes. Sancho, Could Ronaldo? Yes. Sorry? You think Ronaldo could be in a, in a championship winning team right now? You think Jaden Sancho? Yes. So, so you're, you're expecting higher performance from those two to be able to... If Jaden Sancho is going to be in a championship winning team, he's got to score 10, 15 goals. Not, not, not is he ready yet to do that? If, so, so, for example, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying you're going to, but if you put him in a... You put him in a Manchester City or a Liverpool team where if he was at Manchester City, obviously he was there initially. He's not going to play every single week. He would get you, you you look at the goals that Manchester City scored, they share it around. He would get you seven or eight goals for Manchester City, 100%. You would have said that about Jack Grealish, he hasn't. Different different players and what you find is any attacking player that signs for Manchester City, the first season is a, we're learning. It's the second season they always take off. They've they've done that for a long time. So, 
That's all I'm saying, Danny. I what? just don't know whether the team's as good as what people expect it to be. And you get comments about, oh, they're not trying, they're a disgrace. No, I disagree with but, I do disagree with I mean, that. they're just not that good. But are they a team that... So what I'm saying is, is that are they a team that can finish in the top four? Well, I think it'd be difficult. I think no, no, I don't mean now. When you look at that team at the start of the season, is it a team that should, 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 should be fit? So uh, why are they not there? Well, there's no... Yeah, there's, they should be. There's I mean, no... I, they're not great, as I said, to be challenged at the top. But, I mean, you bring in Varane, you bring in Ronaldo, and you bring in 100 million Jane Sancho, and you don't get better. That's, I mean, first of all, it's tough to do and, and a concern. But, but Do you nah. know what they're trying to do when I'm, you watch them? Well, I, I know what Ralph Ragnick's trying to do. You know, but when you it's watch different. it, yeah. yeah, but it's not working out. No. Obviously, I, potentially it could get worse before it gets better. Oh, blimey! On that positive note, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, mate, for jumping My in pleasure. for Robbie Earl. Um, yeah, I, I guess next show is on Sunday, March the thirteenth. Podcast with me and Rob, uh, recapping the Premier League a weekend. He will be back, the Ulster, a few days off. Um, so we look forward to catching up the weekend thanks for tuning in and it's again thanks for danny and take care everybody and bye for now